Attention all units, please stand by to copy a bolo. Bolo from Anytown PD regarding a delayed homicide. The incident occurred at 123 Any Street, Anytown, USA. No suspect or vehicle description provided. All units are requested to respond to helpsolvethecase.com for briefing. Clear Bolo, 0818 hours. Well, hi, this is Christine Burke here with Help Solve the Case. And today uh, we are here with Rashad Coleman and very excited to, to have him here for a number of reasons. Uh, one, because he is a police officer like myself. So we have a lot of uh, in common about that. Uh, but um, well, excited for one thing, because we're, we're going to talk about his case that he is working and uh, he's asked for some help from help solve the case um, and excited because of because of what it is as we do help solve the case we we kind of have three areas of interest we have our unsolved cold cases we have our wrongful conviction and then we have our dna our dna stuff which i call our dna drama and today we're going to talk about wrongful conviction which i think is so interesting and we're glad to be able to help so so welcome rashad how are you doing today I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, um, I, we were talking a little bit before going on the air. And like I said, if I could, if I could do every case, I, I absolutely would. Um, but happy to help. And, and so I know a little bit about the case. We, we've, we've talked a little bit through email or whatever. Um, I just think it's so, so interesting. I, I don't even know where to start first because I, I, well, I'm going to go there. We talk about uh, wrongful conviction, and then you have police officer in the same sentence, and and usually those those don't go together. It's like, okay, yeah. how, how do you and and to have here we are two two cops, right? And we're and we're talking about working on a on a wrongful conviction, like you know, one in one doesn't equal three. But um, I guess tell me, I mean, we want to get to the story of the case, but but. I don't know where to start because I want to hear about, you know, how, how, obviously it's your father, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so you're going to help on it, but how, how does it all go together? Cause like I said, <laughs> it kind of doesn't kind of doesn't make sense, but what do you want? You want the person that knows, knows investigations and knows about this stuff to be working on it. So I'll shut up and I'll let you, I'll let you start talking. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm an officer of the courts and because I'm just an honest person overall, um, whoever did the, did the, did, did, had the wrongdoings on the night that we'll speak of um, should be arrested and should be charged and should serve time and justice should be served, you know, regardless if that's a family member of mine's or not a family member of mine's. That, um, and that, this, yeah. I feel like it might not be, but I wasn't yeah. there. So, yeah. and um, similar to yourself, you know, sometimes good people do bad things. So a lot of times, and, you know, in, in this case in particular, when I would talk to someone about the case, they would automatically assume that I'm saying, um, you know, my father can never do something like this or somebody I love can never do something like this. When you know, as I know, you'll talk to someone during an investigation and they'll give you all the signs that they're a great person and they didn't do it. And then it'll turn out at the end. They did it, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah. So as far as my father's case go, uh, goes, uh, 1987, February 21st, 
um, on his way to work, he was stopped by a police officer and the police officer questioned him about a crime uh, that happened in the area um, where he was uh, on at that location, around that location. Um, a couple, about an hour earlier, there was a young female, 22 year old female in Newark, Delaware, that was um, uh, getting money out of an ATM. A gentleman uh, came up behind her and grabbed her, um, forced her into a, a side alleyway, um, then changed his mind and took her into a, to her vehicle and they drove off. While they were driving off, he took the money, um, which was $8 US currency from the woman, um, sexually assaulted the woman by grabbing her hand and putting it on his genitalia. Um, drove around a corner. Eventually she sees people standing outside. So she takes the car, hop hops up on a corner, um, starts screaming. The guy jumps out, walks away. Uh, police are called to the scene. Once they get to the scene, they interview the woman about the description, which was a black male. Um, I believe he was almost almost six foot, maybe a little taller than six foot, um, wearing a brown coat. At the same time, the police got another call that uh, another call for burglary um, in a senior citizen's home. Um, they go and respond, an officer went and responded to that particular location. And when he got to that location, he found a 79 year old woman that had been uh, raped and brutally assaulted. Um, face fractured, um, you know, swollen, swollen eyeball from, from being hit um, by the man's fist. She said she woke up in the middle of the night, um, horrifying, horrifying scene that described in the paperwork um, to a guy beating on her he then rapes her, then washes himself off and walks out of the house. Um, at that time, police are called, a perimeter is set, um, which at the time my father was stopped. Uh, the woman, the first woman who was at the ATM was was brought to the scene. Um, she said it wasn't my father because one, he didn't have a coat on, and two, his facial hair was different um, from the from the male, meaning that he had more facial hair than, than the male that had kidnapped her uh, moments earlier. They let him go, um, took the female back to the station, interviewed her um, around 9 a.m. When the bank opened, they got the tape from the bank, which had a male that um, they, they, they claimed was grabbing the female and had a picture of him. And they say the picture was that of my father, Daniel Coleman, went and arrested him. Um, back in the interrogation room, um, the police alleged that he admitted to the crime. He denied it, went to court, took it to trial, lost trial, two life sentences. And uh, yeah, that was the case. So I, I eventually, um, I didn't know much about the case. My mother eventually explained the case to me. Um, oh, well, how old were you? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think, sure. I think this is so um, interesting because, well, again, from several reasons, as you're talking about this and what you just said, I'm thinking about, I think as police officers, we don't realize the, the effect of you know, somebody being removed from the household, right? Um, yeah. So, so how old were you when your dad was arrested? I was three years old. Uh, my two older brothers, one was six and one was seven, I believe. And, and when did your mom tell you? Like, what at what age is is that appropriate? Yeah. Or how how did you how did that even go down? I mean, you know, we think about trying to talk to kids about the birds and the bees. How how do you even have that conversation with your child? Yeah. Good question. So when I was in the eighth grade, I, I, I never knew uh, why he was locked up, but my mother would take me every now and then to go see him. And I just, you know, thought I was just going into some funny place with loud noises and high fences and barbed wires. And, you know, it was this guy was, was um, right. I'm sorry. It was the way it was like, yeah, it was just the way it was. Cause I was so young. Okay. And uh, in the eighth grade, I um, started talking to a girl who was white 
and we began to have a relationship and me and my mother used to talk all the time. So I went back and I talked to her about it and I'm smiling and she sat me down and she said, you know, your father is, is doing two life sentences right now um, because a white woman um, essentially went on a stand and lied, to, lied about him. Um, so I don't want you dating, dating a white woman, a white girl. I um, mean, that's how I found out that my father um, had been arrested for doing something to a white woman. Um, years later, I had, uh, years later, before I got married, I wanted my wife, my, my now wife, to, to meet my father when I was engaged. So I would set an appointment and we went to see him um, inside the prison. And I was, it was my first time speaking to him as an adult. And I was struck by how hospitable he was with the situation. I knew his, his circumstance. I had read about his, his um, case online a little bit. And I didn't know how he would react to me bringing a white woman inside of the jail. Um, but he was he was hospitable. He was telling me, look, if you're in love, it'll all work out. You know, don't worry about me. It is what it is. You know, I, I've got the time. It doesn't look like I'm going anywhere anytime soon. I just want you to be happy. And I just want you, you know, your future wife to be happy. And it was remarkable to both of us as we drove off and we're saying, man, this just doesn't seem like a guy that would commit a crime like that. And um, wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, and I want to I, I don't want to interrupt this story, but I have to add, because, again, you keep bringing up things that I just don't think that the public thinks about. I, you know, I, I currently work with people that are incarcerated and, and on defense. And it, it is it's interesting because I think um, not having that experience or someone that's been convicted or wrongfully convicted or whatever, um, the, the juxtaposition about the bad guy, right? The bad guy or the bad girl, what, what they're like, but they, they are real people and the, I don't even know if it's fortitude or or what the grace, I, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know to, to, to go through, to go through all this and, and feel that, um, hope and 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 ju- justness will prevail um, and justice too um, that's just that's just a, a, amazing and now um, were you a police officer at the time you went to see him no I wasn't a police officer at the time me and my wife we were both teachers and uh, I had always had a dream to, to to be in a law enforcement for some odd reason even though I didn't have a great relationship with law enforcement um, but I, about a year a year or two after that um, I was headed into the police academy, and at the same time, ironically, he was uh, getting getting out of jail. Um, his his appeal had went through, and he was he was going to be released. He was going to have a lifetime of probation and parole, but he was being released the same year that I was um, going into the police academy. Um, okay. And when he got out, okay. you know, I, I, we sat down and I asked him if he wanted me to look look into the case. And uh, at first, it was the look of defeat. You know, he was just like. Now, I, I mean, look, I know what the system can do to a person. I've lived through it. I've, I've missed my kids growing up. I just want to sit back and enjoy my life before I die. I want to enjoy my grandkids, you know, enjoy my wife before I die. I don't even want to do this, do, do anything with the justice system anymore um, because I, I'm learning things, right? I'm in the academy. I'm learning all these different terms. And yeah, I'm telling yeah. them, yeah, this will be a good case study for me. He's saying, no, leave it alone. Live your life, man. Do, do the right thing. And uh, it wasn't until a year and a half later that he was put on um, ankle, uh, ankle monitoring system. And they told him that he would be on it for the rest of his life. That he said, uh, he said, look, I need to look into it now because I'm being victimized again for a crime that I didn't commit. So how about we sit down and look at this case? Wow. I just think that, um, I, I don't even know, like I feel, I feel bad asking this question, but did you, you know, before you, 
you decided to become a police officer, did you, um, well, maybe you don't even want to answer it. Like, did you think he was guilty or did you even pay any attention to it? Or you, you know, like that, that was the reality of how you interacted with your father and then that was done. And, and then you're going to start a relationship, which I will, I will say, tell, tell us about your book too, because I just started reading that. Right. So we don't want to, we don't want to give that away, but this is part of the stuff that, that you talk about because there's, there's so much going, going on there. Um, I would, I would want to say as a, as a person, like just as a son, how you look at your father. And then, like you said, to have this desire to be a police officer, you know, did that, did that change your perspective in any way or, or how, you know, that's gotta be, um, mentally challenging mm -hmm. yeah and it was very mentally challenging uh to be honest the first when i when i first read this story about the atm um and him you know kidnapping someone and taking money from him i just thought it was you know maybe he would he, he he's done it but it wasn't as it was written written so the rape case was never a part of it um a part of his sentencing or he was never charged with it but i just thought you know you're out one night out at bar you get into it with some female one thing leads to another and, and here you are in this situation. And another thing I always tell people is in the inner city, so many fathers are absent that it's no different from the next person. So because my father's not in the house, my friend's father's not in the house and he's locked up off, you know, for, for, for selling drugs. Um, it was normal. So, yeah. So it's like, okay, you know, that, that just is what it is. One day he'll get out and he might go back. And um, so I struggled with that a little bit, but after that time, after I took my wife to see him, was the first time as a mature adult I, I spoke with him and it just something didn't sit right with me with him being this um you know, monstrous person that the paper was speaking of so at that point we you know corralled and, and, I, and I spoke with him and uh after he asked me to take on a case and I you know I looked him in the eye we went out we had a a couple beers you know that's always the truth serum right and it was my first time having a drink with my father and I said look I'll 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 look at this case for you but I want you to know that I'm sticking my neck out on the line and um, if there's anything about this case that I don't know, I want you to just tell me now. You know, that's not to say I won't help you, but I can't get myself jammed up in something and you're not being truthful to me. Because, you know, one thing police officers always know is if you're lying about one thing, you're probably lying about something else, too. So, you know, he, he said, no, he said, this is it. He said, I never seen never saw the woman before in my life. Um, first time I saw her was when they brought her to me and shined the light on me. And then I seen her, saw her in court. And, and that was it. And I started looking at the case. And a couple of things set, started setting me back, you know, when I seen that, when I saw, I don't know how deep you want to go into the case. And when I saw that he was uh, attempting to have um, the confession that they said he made thrown out, um, I thought that, okay, so you did confess to it. Um, and it wasn't until he explained to me, you know, he's no trained lawyer, he, his, his education, he's got a GED from, from high school. So his terminology, he wouldn't understand, um, you know, lawyer talk or, or courtroom talk. But some of the things that he was he was saying about the interrogation were making sense from a person that just doesn't know what's going on, you know. And that was, you know, that's kind of that's kind of where I took it. So we began looking at it, and I said, "Man, these things just are not adding up in this case." Well, one of the things I want to talk about um, your gut, right? So as a cop, um, you know, and and 
I always use it in my police life. In my personal life, didn't pay attention to it so much. I always tell people like, you know, there's a reason you got to listen to it in all aspects, right? Because it saved me a lot as a police officer. So when when you get that feeling, right? You you know, right? You trust it. You don't know exactly uh, what is what, but but um, yeah, I I got to think that's that's a very Ooh, that's a, that's a hard question um, to, to have that conversation. Like, like you said, cause I, that's something that I had asked you, like, did you have that conversation? Because mm-hmm. man, that could go so many, so many bad ways that, you know, here you're trying to establish this relationship with your dad. And then, and then you, you want the answer, right? Because you have a reputation as a police officer, everything has to be truthful and on the up and up and, and all this stuff. And, and, I could just imagine it would be awkward because, because he wants to say the right thing that's going to keep you around or keep your love or whatever, or maybe redeem himself or whatever. And you hope Mm -hmm. that's the truth. Right. And then you want the answer from him at the same time, but you know, you want the good answer that it is a wrongful conviction. Unfortunately, you don't want the bad answer that yes, I did it. Right. So it's, it's um, all these feelings and things, but then to listen to it and say that, that Steph isn't, isn't done right. And, and that's, um, some of the stuff when it, with the wrongful conviction and, and all this stuff and documentation and, and back in the day, uh, especially with things not being, being recorded, you know, people watch TV and they, and they think it's, it's just so simple, right. Yeah. To, to solve the case. And we're going to have this, we're going to have that. And, um, one of the things, and we've only talked about it briefly, you know, we're going to get into it uh, more, uh, as we work the case, but what you mentioned, you were just describing it about the witness, um, identifying and saying it's not him. Okay. So, so, so she was there, she, right. she was there and said, no. And that brings up, um, a lot of people back in the day, they relied on, um, you know, when DNA and fingerprinting and all that stuff wasn't prevalent, they relied on eyewitness identification. But as you do the stories and 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 the research and stuff, um, I bring in experts in my cases because eyewitness identification based on what goes on can even be faulty, right? Yeah. Um, so that's very interesting. And, and I'll I'll bring up, we were talking before we came on air about um, one of my cases and it was interesting through the use of body cameras, right? That the police use body cameras now. And it's interesting to see their, their version. I don't want to say like a version because I believe they're being, they're being truthful as the way they interpreted it right through their eyes and their emotions and whatever, but what, what the body cam shows versus what their perception, what their perception was. And then to have this eyewitness testimony to just convict somebody, it's, it's so scary. And then I think we talked a little bit about, um, you've looked at some other evidence, including um, some fingerprints and, and stuff sure. like that. Yeah, so so the first thing was, was sure, she, um, with, with, the, with, the, with the show up, they brought her around, she looked at him and said, you know, it's not him. And you go back and you read, and as a police officer, you know, a lot of times, even in, just for a quick example, even in the academy, we would have a drill where we would be sitting in class yeah, just doing a random, I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, doing a random, random thing, and then on a projector, it would be a person that would just be pointing a gun at you. Yeah, yeah. And they would ask each each cadet, you know, what, what color was the guy? You would have black, Hispanic, white. What shirt was he wearing? Red, green, yellow, and it, it was everywhere. 
And uh, it was because it was a shock to you. So you you see what you thought you saw, and then they would bring the picture back up, and everybody say, "Oh man, you thought this and you thought that." And but those things really happen yes. on the street, and and they're and and they're so real. Um, so yeah, so that was the first thing. And the second thing was um, that when she jumped out of the vehicle, there were three witnesses there. And I asked my father, "Well, where? What did the witnesses say when they came to court?" And he said, there were no witnesses at court. And I said, what do you mean? If, if there are witnesses there, how are there no, there are no witnesses at court? And he said, I don't know. The, the, my lawyer never called the witnesses for some reason. And not only were there witnesses at the, at the place where she jumped out of the vehicle, but when the guy originally took her from the ATM into the alleyway, when they came back out of the alley, there were three, three witnesses there that remember seeing them two together and, re and specifically remember seeing the suspect. Um, one of the guys said it was Daniel Coleman. The five other witnesses said that that was not Daniel Coleman, was not the guy that, that arrested, that um, kidnapped, you know, the woman that night. And, um, you know, my mother was a little upset about things um, and, and that the police said that, you know, they were going to stop any African-American that night. And uh, she's asking me, wasn't that illegal? They can't just stop any African-American. I said, well, you know, you know this. Well, it depends. If the call is for an African American of a certain height wearing certain certain clothes clothing in that area, then yeah, we can stop African Americans the same way if it was a, a white guy that committed the crime and wearing certain clothes in a certain area at a certain time of the day. If those things line up, then that race kind of ties into the stop. And I thought, you know, one of the reasons why I am why right now I'm able to figure out all this information is because that initial officer I feel like did do a good job of preserving evidence one of which was fingerprints that he not only took from the rape victim's window that the suspect came in, but also out of the vehicle that uh, my father allegedly was in. He, he collected eight fingerprints and a palm print from the vehicle. Not only that, and he sent the evidence to the FBI, um, which was another thing. I'm like, whoa, this is FBI evidence right here? Call my father back again. Hey, did you have FBI evidence saying that you were at the crime? Because if you did, there would be no way you would be out of jail right now. And he said, no, I've never heard of any fingerprints at all. And I'm sitting here reading it on the, the police report from 1987. And I'm saying to myself, how is it possible a lawyer didn't bring this up in court that there are fingerprints? I didn't know the answer at, the, at that point. Um, but after an FOI requ FOIA request, I uh, figured out that his fingerprints were nowhere inside of the vehicle. So Wow. Yeah. And, and there's a couple of things I, I want to talk about that you bring up because um, in doing these cold cases, um, me being on the outside and even, even some people that have been, and maybe you can talk to this on the inside or whatever you want to call it, right. You know, being a police officer, it's very hard to get information and thank goodness. Um, you know, I know where the, that helps me be successful is I know where the information is, right. Because I've, I've worked in all those little nooks and crannies in the, in the department. Right. And so you almost sometimes have to be very assertive and push for it. To, to get it. And, and the, the, the people, when I talk to the parents and stuff, they're like, well, how do you know this? And how did this? And, and they, they're just completely clueless, especially like you're talking about your dad going into some interrogation and, and, and whatever, and, and just maybe not even having the, the, the educational skills to do it. Um, exactly. but, but let alone to know, what's coming at him, right? What it, you know, mm -hmm. that it's not an interview. We're not just going to chat. It's an interrogation, which is a completely different animal, right? right. And then, um, 
just talking about this stuff, um, getting the information and getting the police to uh, report because it's so hard um, to try to recreate, recreate these things because you're so hampered uh, mm-hmm. with trying to figure out. Um, I-, I used to always, the people hated because I wrote, I wrote big detailed reports, right? Records was like, oh my goodness. Because back in the day I was handwriting them um, and, and they hated it because I would write and write and write and write and write. But I was taught that, you know, and I like the movies, right? That you should be able to pick it up mm-hmm. and, and, you know, go to the, go to the scene or go whatever, or even in your mind, picture everything that happened and, and the way it was. And if you, if you don't have that, it, it can, it can lead to, you know, forget about just regular miscommunication. Right. And now you're looking at it and it's like, what has happened? Right. Where, where's this? Yeah. Where, where is that? What happened to this? Um, yeah. And it, yeah. And that was, that was, that was, that was the remarkable part about it. Um, which I was telling my family is the fact that we are able to get information on this case from 1987 and 2000 and, you know, 19, 2020, 2021 is remarkable because a lot of times police will say, no, you're not, you're not getting it. No, I have this. No, you, you can't get it. Fill out whatever form you want. The answer is no. And what, you know, what recourse do you have? Do you have $20,000? You have $30,000 to go hire this big time lawyer that can kick in the door and say, I want these documents and I want these documents right now. And that's why I thank you and you and your group for, for hearing out this case. Um, because I only, the only reason why I found out about, about the uh, FOI it request is at a training that I was at a guy, he's sitting up there and he's saying, Hey, listen, when it comes to sexual assault cases and they're sent to the FBI, just understand that people can get the information, get the results through a freedom of information acts request. And, and I'm in the midst of dealing with my father's thing. And I'm saying, Whoa, What's a, you know, what's that? <laughs> Let me look into that. Sure enough, I, I send it off a couple months later. They send it back saying that my father's fingerprints were not in the rape suspect's house or inside of the vehicle and that there was DNA found in the vehicle. There were um, his shoes were taken and the carpet out of the vehicle were taken, none of which matched anything that was on, on him. So, and so- it, it's amazing. And so it was tested, right? Because a lot of times, a lot of times, I mean, and, and this is kind of, this is kind of scary. You know, I could be opening up can of worms, but even cases that I'm working on now that the prosecution doesn't even test anything. They're like, well, we're not going to test. We're not going to test that. We're going to wait until it goes down the road. And if it goes to trial and, and whatever. And, and um, I'm always with, you know, my guys, I'm like, Hey, like, uh, if you didn't do it, we need to do this, right? But I'll leave this up to you, but we really need to test this because how, how, I mean, and I guess that's just, you know, I, I would assume, right. And this is, you know, assuming um, that, that the prosecution, I, if I was a prosecutor, I would never want to put on a case that I didn't feel was a hundred percent correct about. And one of the things too, like going back and looking at, at all these cases, I really want to have um, an unbiased opinion. And and sometimes some of my families can get a little um, frustrated with me because I don't accept anything as fact. I said, we're going to find the facts. We're going to, we're going to look here. You know, if there's 10 things, we're going to look at every 10 thing, every 10 thing. We're not going to just assume that uh, it is what you think it is or what you should be or whatever. We're going to rule out everything and then whatever we're left with then we decide what we're going to do with right and mm-hmm. so um it sounds like you're saying that that fingerprints didn't match the dna didn't match 
So, no. so I have you, here's a question. I mean, it's something we can get into. Did you, did you talk to the lawyer uh, that handled his case or is he long? Yeah, I have not, but she, she's retired now. She's been retired for about four years, I believe. Um, and I haven't, I haven't been able to find her yet. Um, okay. So yeah, I've did, I did a little bit of digging. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that, but I said, oh, I'm not going to put them to work, you know? So yeah, I, ha I have not been able to find, to find her. Um, and, and I haven't been able to confirm where the, where the actual fingerprints are, which are like two big things. You know, I haven't been able to confirm if the FBI still has the fingerprints, did they send just the results back? Did they send their fingerprints and the results back? But I do know, one thing I do know is that the police department had the results of the fingerprints before the trial, which is huge. So, um, so that means, I mean, we're thinking that the, the fingerprints said in our estimation, right? I'm going to, I'm looking at you like, you know, we're, you, you guys are hearing this, but I'm, we're, we're face to face over, over zoom. I'm looking at you. Like I'm assuming like, well, if the fingerprints didn't match, like me as a cop, when I'm working my case, I'm going to be like, uh, hmm, like hmm, maybe I might want to look at this a little further. Right. But yeah, exactly. Did exactly. They, do you think they just went with the eyewitness or what, what is your, I mean, you, I think you said you had the trial transcript. Do you have the trial transcript? Yes. Yep. Okay, yep. So I had we, it all the trial transcript. So we can get into that. And what, mm -hmm. what's your feeling about the way, and this is, this is kind of scary too for, for other people, again, being involved in the defense of these cases and, and no, no shade on the attorneys, but you, you kind of have to pick a theory or pick a way Mm -hmm. and and go with it it's it's not like you have the opportunity to kind of lay everything out and say okay well we're, we're gonna try this you know like they say throw this get against the wall see if it's it sticks no you kind of have to pick a pick a lane and, yeah. and go in it and if you haven't like let's just say they they decided to to just use the eyewitness and not the fingerprints for whatever reason and then you leave all of that stuff on the table and if that doesn't work th then what do you do like what do you think they just did the eyewitness testimony or? Yeah, that's, that's the, the only thing that they did um, when it came to evidence was one, they, they had the alleged confession, um, which he went on, which he went and took the stand also, which, which, you know, <laughs> you know how the defense attorneys never say, put your, put your client on the stand, but he took the stand. I thought he did a remarkable job um, to go against, you know, one of the best prosecutors here. And he said, I've never admitted to anything inside an interrogation room that they confused me. And my question to him, well, how did they confuse you? What do you mean? Did you say you kidnapped her and you did and you just knew her? What do you mean that they, they, you know, they confused you? And he, and this thing was, they would ask me a question like, um, you know, when's the last time you were with your girlfriend? Um, Cause he had a girlfriend at the time. And he would say, you know, uh, yesterday or this morning. And they would ask him, well, did you, did, have you touched her sexually? You know, and he said, yeah, you know, I touched her when I was leaving out. I might have patted her on a butt or something like that when I was leaving out for work. And they would say, oh, so you did kidnap her. And he's saying, well, who are we talking about? Are we talking about my girlfriend? Are we talking about this woman, this victim that's saying that you, that you think I, I kidnapped? And they would ask him, well, what do you think we, we're talking about? And he would say, my girlfriend. And they would say, you know, then it became like a back and forth of, you know, what, what he's talking about. And um, so, you know. That part was kind of that part kind of had me in the middle, right? Because I can't see how three why why would three that would take three people in a room to all come up with a lie, 
right? Which is kind of unusual when it comes to police. I don't, you know, that's kind of hard to believe. But then I look at the other aspect of it is the victim was in that same room an hour early and she was videotaped and made a written statement. My father was in there an hour later, same room. The officers say that they had a videotape inside of the room, yet nothing was taped at all. And I thought that was interesting. And I'm saying, well, why wouldn't you just tape them? You, there's a nail in the hole. Go ahead and tape them. And, uh, you know, that didn't happen. So I thought that was a little This was, um, what did you say, 87, right? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to date myself, but, uh, you know, I, I, I did interviews around those times and I, I mean, it was a little bit bulky, but I had a tape recorder. I mean, we, we all didn't have cell phones like we do now, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing when, you know, and obviously you don't want to use your, your personal stuff, whatever, but, um, most of the officers have cell phones, they've got body camera, they've got all this stuff and, and there's no documentation and, and, you don't want to think, like you said, bad things, but how, how do you have it? I mean, I even have it. I even have it today in some of my cases, some is recorded and some isn't. And if you have nothing to hide, why would you, I mean, I don't even like saying that, right. But why why would you not? Because that's only more evidence. I, Mm -hmm. I, I just, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because it, because when that happens, doubt comes in. So now I don't know if I understand. I don't know if I believe you like I did a second ago mm-hmm. when that when when I when when something like that comes up, um, you know. And then the and and then the uh, the officers allege that that my father was on tape, um, you know, that they had a still picture. And this is 1987, of course, and that he was on tape and, th- and that there was a picture of him. And I asked my father, "Was that you know who, who the picture looked like?" And he said, "I don't know." They said the picture wasn't me. And so I've tried to get that picture because I'm figuring, okay, I can go get that picture, have that picture enhanced, and we can see if it's him or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, denied, you know, I'm denied that picture also. It's a part of an, an investigation. You can't have the picture. Um, we'll see, and and that's something again. We we can we can talk about it. We can work on it. We can argue because um, w- once again, it's very dis- disturbing because I I I so value law enforcement. Right, I was in it. I I take pride in my profession. And, and like we talked about, God knows there's so much garbage going around, but when you, um, and I don't know what else to say when people hide behind the, oh, the ongoing case and the, this and the, that, um, you're, 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 as far as I'm, I'm concerned, you know, and you, and you talked about, um, the fact that the materials were available and that you got them. And I think that's good because if, if somebody was convicted and he's going through all this and, and parole or probation or any of this stuff, you have to have the resources. So they preserve it. I mean, what we're seeing more and more is that they're getting rid of them in, mm-hmm. in, in a couple of years, which is, which is disgusting, not only from a background check perspective, but, but trying to go back and reevaluate these cases. Especially um, when we have systems like a cloud system, that can preserve all these documents. Why are you getting rid of this stuff? Yeah, you have it, lifelong. Yeah, it's it's very scary. Um, but but the point that the investigation is closed, right? There is there's there's no reason that you shouldn't have it, and especially your dad. I mean, you're his representative, but but you should definitely have that. So so those are some things that that we we can work on. So so what do you think in talking about that? Um, 
what, what do you think the main things like going back and, and, and trying to get, uh, everything do you, like, do you feel that you've gotten everything about the case or, uh, maybe trying to get that photograph and the figure, yeah. like, what do you, what do you think right now is going to prove it? Like, like, what do you think, uh, you want to try to do or that, or that's something that we could do in a, in like a bull, yeah. bullpen session. What I call those is like brainstorming sessions like like yeah I've, I've listened to one of these sessions i love them i love them i'm <laughs> totally enthralled when i'm listening to you go back and forth i think the biggest thing right now is the fingerprints if the fingerprints in the vehicle come back to someone um that 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 she you know doesn't know because the victim is Ooh, still alive I'm getting goosebumps i'm sorry like i'm yeah. getting goosebumps because i just can't <laughs> i i I don't even know what to call like that does not sit right with me that 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 just I yeah yeah and, and you know another thing that just that just occurred to me right all the all the hurdles for some reason I think when you become a police officer you just automatically for some reason you think guilt before you think innocent from at least that was how it was for me because I was making so many arrests on the street when I would approach something it would be from a guilty standpoint can you prove to me that that it's innocent so when I read the report and I seen that one of the I saw that one of the witnesses identified my father, I said, "Man, out of all the people in the world, how could this person uh, identify my father?" Right? Five other people, including the people that was with him, said it wasn't him. And I thought about it. And I thought about it. And uh, I was talking to my father one day about the interrogation, and he said, "Yeah." He said at the end of the interrogation, I said, "Well, what happened after that?" And he said, "They had me take a picture, and they, you know, put the jumpsuit jumpsuit on me and put the hood on me and, and took a picture." And I said, what'd you say? And he said, they told me to take a picture. And I said, no, no, you said something about a jumpsuit in the hood. And he said, yeah, you know, the jumpsuits, they have the, the gel jumpsuits, they have a hood on it. And I said, they put a hood on you and took a picture? He said, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, they put a hood over top of my head and had me take a picture. And then I'm thinking back and I go back and I read the beginning when the guy initially approached the woman, he had a hood over his head. So my father was saying, even in the picture that they're saying was me, the guy had the hood over his head when he went to grab the woman from behind at the ATM. So then I'm saying to myself, well, that's why the guy probably pointed you out because that's the mugshot that they have of you of a guy with the hood on it. So rather than just believing that, we went back to the police department and tried to request that photo. I want to see that photo, that initial photo of my, that my father took. Denied. You can't see the photo. Well, you know, and that, and that brings out again, cause I'm, I'm working present day cases, right. With, with this. And, um, uh, one of the things I talk about is, you know, again, back in the day, I, I used to create a photo lineup and, and we would have black and white booking photos and they were all kind of like, I don't know if, if you experienced it, but in the library card catalog and we had the little drawers that we pulled out and and that was my job to create it. I had to sit through, I had, I had my, my arrested person or my suspect's picture. And I had to physically myself, you know, when we start talking about bias and all, all kinds of stuff and facial hair and who looks like whatever, um, and, and pick people that look like the person to me. And then, you know, that has progressed to now we have systems, we have systems in place for that, that randomize it and supposedly do things like that so uh you know in the first off but then i'm thinking when you're saying that because it it's gotten so technical now about shirt color and facial hair mm -hmm. and and lighting and did you do black and white and Place all this stuff. Like I'm, well i'm thinking like 
Well, if it was a jacket hood, I'm thinking like you're talking about like some kind of spit hood or some type of, um, you know, hazmat type, mm-hmm. you know, in the jail. Well, did he have, what did the, what other hoods did the other people have? I mean, I hope to God they didn't, they, they had hoods and did not have a hood. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. declaring. Um, and if that's the, and if that's and if that's the case, then that would make sense. If everybody in the photo lineup had a hood on, then okay, I you know I I I, I could kind of I could kind of I don't know. Is that is that legal? Is that legal to put something to put a hood on someone? That's my question to you. I don't know. I've never been a detective before, but can you put a hood on a person for a mugshot? Well, okay. I'm not the lawyer, right? So, but. <laughs> Like, you know, I got to throw my disclaimer in there, you know, uh, so for a legal opinion, but, but I can tell you with my training and the reason behind it is that the people need to look similar. You cannot have people that, that stand out. Okay. Um, and, and one of the things as, as, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose it. We, we were talking about that is, um, aside from that so let's say everybody looks the same right it, they they look good and the pictures are as as um random as possible but as close as possible you also have now there's a thing where uh, they call double blind that they they don't have the officer that's working the case go in mm-hmm. right they have two separate random people so they don't they don't know what the answer or the right person is because, you know, like when people are playing poker, you get poker tells or, I mean, it, it has, because of issues, we've gotten to that point where there's um, best practices to utilize. Some people don't use them, um, but specifically for that reason, because you don't know what somebody could, could say. And then, and then even too, unfortunately, when they don't um, document these things, they'll take a, well, mm, I'm not yeah. sure. And the Hemin and Han, and then they'll be like, he said, yes, he identified him. But when you look at the actual words, like even sometimes when you read the police report and you read what it says, and then you go back and you listen to the audio and you watch the video, you're like, oh, wow, that's totally, that's totally different to get to the yes. Right. So kind of what mm-hmm. you're talking about in the interrogation of your father you know, what kind of a roundabout thing did they get to intentionally or unintentionally to get to the, to the yes or, or whatever, yeah. you know, that's, exactly. that's then paraphrased in the report. So, well, it, it, it sounds really, um, really interesting and gosh, I mean, just, just hearing about the fingerprints and all that stuff, uh, very, very excited. I, I think, um, it, it's going to be very interesting and, and we're looking forward to really helping you and your dad. And um, I don't know uh, anything that you want to say to anybody uh, right now that might be listening or um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm yes. re- I, I hesitate to say exciting because I, I don't <laughs> think something horrific, right. Um, mm. I shouldn't say exciting, but, but to have the opportunity to help and, and, and looking at all these, looking at all these things um it just it's just it makes me feel it makes me feel good right and um mm-hmm. so I, I, yeah i think that i think the biggest yeah i was gonna say i think the biggest thing is if, if anybody out there knows a way to get the fingerprints tested or knows a specific way to figure out where the fingerprints are 
during the deputation. I think that would be beneficial. I mean, not only not only those fingerprints, right? I know you didn't want to dive. I don't know if you want me to talk about the other suspect or not, but there's a lot more to go along with this case. Well, yeah, um, we'll definitely look at that, um, you know, in the in the bullpen and part of um, kind of going back to square one and, and what I like to do. And that's why we have everybody um, uh, with our virtual investigators. They can participate. But you really have to start over and you have to reinvestigate the crime and say, mm -hmm what what happened right and not get caught up in any type of tunnel vision or or even in this case because we don't want it to be your dad right we don't we don't want to ex exclude anything and we just we just want to look at it and say who are all the possible suspects and and what wasn't done and and get to it so we can make sure that that we've looked at everything right and that yeah. and that we've looked at all options so um exactly. definitely we'll get started on that but um yeah, and also, like you said earlier, I don't want to forget about it, but I, I wrote a book on it. Yeah, um, I was just going to say, yeah. tell, tell me about your book, because I think sure. I think that's so interesting. Um, what life must have been like and, and just your perspective. I've, I've started reading a little bit of it. And, and like you said, it's just um, it is a, a completely different perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. And that to come full circle to hear. So, yeah. So tell everybody about your book and how they can get it and. Sure. So the book uh, is called Fatherless Son, um, How the Criminal Justice System Tore My Family Apart and, and Brought Us Back Together. And you've heard a little bit, um, a, a little snapshot about what the book is like. It's about my life growing up uh, without a father and then coming to the realization um, at this point that my father might have been um, wrongfully convicted. And I, write th I wrote this book um, for one specific reason. Um, I've always tried to look at uh, my ancestors, my grandmother and my great grandfather and, and try to look all these people up, but I could never find any writings on them. I could never find find what they wrote down, how they thought politically, how what was going on during the times um, that they were alive. So I wanted to leave a, a footprint right down about how my great, great, great kids can know how their great, great grandfather thought. Um, and so I wanted to put it on paper. And now it's, it's etched in stone. It's in the library. It'll be in the Library of Congress, you know, for, for as long as, as America is here. And uh, the book is not necessarily about uh, selling a lot of copies. I always tell people, if you don't have any money, if you don't have a dime to your name, I still want you to read this book. And you can email me at uh, it's Arthur Rashad, A-U-T-H-O-R-R-A-S-H-O-D dot com or Arthur Rashad at Gmail dot com. You can send me an email and I'll send you I'll send you the book for free. But you can also if you want to purchase the book, you don't have to. You can purchase it at authorrashad.com or on uh, Amazon. And it's also available in audio format on um, audiobook.com and Wonderful. iTunes. I, I think that's great. And we'll, and we'll put it on the website, too. And, and I, I was just thinking something as you're talking about, it, not only about a history for your family, but um, and we talked about a little bit before coming on today, just just such the I don't know if it's the dichotomy about the the way the police relations are and that here here you're involved in in um doing a good job doing that but also um bucking the system so to speak i guess you're uh, mm -hmm. um uh making a difference against the system and and work and showing how that system can work hard right you're working hard to to right a wrong and, and I think that's just, uh, that's an incredible example, not only for your family, but just for the profession too, because um, of late, it can be, it can be so maligned. And the fact that I think it's a great testament that you could grow up the way you did and 
and not be um not be harmed by it i don't know what the yeah so yeah exactly so uh, some of what i try to talk about is i kind of tote the line between a police perspective and the inner city person's perspective that's growing up in an impoverished neighborhood um like we talked offline i've been searched and stopped by so many cops i can't even remember before i became a police officer and then i can remember uh, there was a call we had um of a shooting um and me and my partner you know fly down there and we turn the corner and the person had a african-american male white shirt and blue jeans and we get down there and we turn the corner right where the shooting happened and what do you see but 10 or 15 african-americans blue shirt and white jeans and it just clicked in my head oh my gosh you know i look exactly like everybody else out there which is why these cops are you know those cops were, were stopping me at the time it doesn't make it right but it kind of brought some perspective into I don't know who's who. And uh, one, of the, one of the older officers, he said, you know, you got to get out of that vehicle and start talking to people in order to know who the troublemakers are in the neighborhood. Because the troublemakers don't want anything to do with you, but it's a bunch of people out here. 99% of the people out here want to do the right thing. They love you out here, but it's a small percentage and you have to know who that small percentage is that's causing havoc for this neighborhood. Mm, and, and be able to make a difference. I think that's I think that's so awesome. And I have to, again, praise you for um, doing it, continuing to do it today. Cause I don't know if I started today, if I'd be able to do it given the climate um, and especially what you're doing for your dad. And, and I appreciate you reaching out to us and um, we'll go ahead and end it here and you can find out more. We'll put the link uh, to get the book uh, on the website, helpsolvethecase.com. Or if you want to be a virtual investigator, you could go to Patreon dot com forward slash help solve the case p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash help solve the case and become a virtual investigator and we'll start comparing fingerprints and looking at some dna and and maybe doing some FOIA requests and, and see if we can get that picture for you so um i really appreciate it and uh we look forward to to getting some justice uh for you and your dad and, and your family right and 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 also we can't forget when when this sort of stuff happens like you mentioned in the very beginning, there's the the victim's family. Yes. Got no justice, which people um, tend to think about the person that's that's lost all the years of their lives being incarcerated, but it's it's a a second injustice for the for the family where the real person um, never got convicted. So we need to be cognizant of that too. To so we're getting justice for for two people. Um, and writing, yeah. writing a wrong in that. So we look forward to it. And um, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much. I look forward to working with you guys. Thank you. Well, that ends another episode of the Help Solve the Case podcast. If you would like to join us as a virtual investigator and work on this case or any of our other cases, please join us as a virtual investigator. You can even become a cold case specialist and have your own case and your own podcast. Check out the details at patreon.com forward slash help solve the case. You can also, if you are a family member, friend, or loved one, reach out to us via our website at helpsolvethecase.com to submit your case for consideration for our investigators and virtual investigators to work. Once again, we thank you and we appreciate your support and thank you for helping us help solve the case.